Hello, this is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. And this is the PCOS Diva podcast. And lately I've been getting a lot of questions about herbals and natural remedies to treat PCOS. I think more and more women are um, maybe disenchanted with some of the pharmaceuticals or just really want to look for a way to be able to manage their PCOS um, in, a, in a more natural way. So I wanted to reach out to a wonderful previous podcast guest, uh, Dr. Laura Bryden. Um, and if you are interested in learning more about the pill and, and kind of the pros and cons about the pill and treating PCOS, be sure to check out that podcast. Um, it was from last June. But I asked Dr. Laura to join us tonight to kind of talk about some of these herbal remedies for PCOS. So welcome, Dr. Laura. Thanks for being here. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for having me again. Always love chatting with you. Well, let me tell listeners a little bit about um, about you and your practice. You are a naturopathic doctor, and you have a busy women's health practice in Sydney, Australia. You have a very strong science background, which I love, um, and you've worked actually as an evolutionary biologist before qualifying as a naturopathic doctor from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. And you are very passionate about hormones and health, and that's why I think we're kindred spirits. (laughs) And you've Mm -hmm. helped many, many patients with PCOS, endometriosis, and a whole host of other period problems. And I am just thrilled to say that you are um, also an author of a brand new book that has just been published called The Period Repair Manual. Uh, and you live in Sydney with your husband and your teenage daughter. So I have to tell you, I just went on vacation, and I um, my sort of relaxation reading is actually, you know, books like Your Period Repair Manual. I took that. I think I took the, the Bulletproof Diet book by Dave Asprey and the Adrenal Reset Diet by... Um, Dr. Uh, Christensen, and I have to say I loved your book. I read most of it on vacation, and I have to tell you a funny story. I was sitting by the pool reading the book, and I was kind of eavesdropping on a conversation that these women were having behind me. They were talking about their teenage daughters and um, their periods and all of the problems that they're having, and they're wondering, you know, is this normal or is that normal? And I couldn't resist. I kind of turned around. I said, I, I can't help it, but I'm reading this great book. You really should pick up a copy. And, they're, you know, I think so many women um, are just really confused about what is normal and what isn't. And, um, and I think your book is a great place to become educated and empowered. So why don't you kind of tell us, like, what, um, what were your thoughts behind deciding to sit down and write this, this book? Yeah, that's a great story about the women. I often find myself, yeah, overhearing, yeah, story. Because women are, I'll just say, what's happening in our popular culture, and I think it's great, is that periods are coming out into the open. More and more people are talking about periods. It's almost like it's for the first time. You know, we're really just having a, as a society, a sort of open conversation about something that is so natural and normal for 50% of the population. <laughs> Yet, it's, you know, it's strange that we haven't really talked about it before now. So, in terms of you know, bringing out my book and 
why now and why this year. I think if, if it, looking back, I can think this was a great year to bring it out because 2015 is kind of the year of periods and a lot, and it fits right in with what a lot of people are kind of wanting to know about. For me, my, I just really wanted to get out. I've just been finding after 20 years of clinical work and work with my patients that I know, and as you know, I'm sure with, you know, with your PCOS Viva work, the, the natural treatments, the diet changes are so effective for period problems. And, you know, the message just is, it has to get out there more. So women need to understand they have real options to make real differences to period symptoms, which can otherwise, you know, periods can seem a little bit mysterious sometimes, I think, but they're really not. They, they're just a natural part of our body. They respond to all the things that our body needs. Yeah, and and I love how you broke the book up too. So you have um the really the first section of your book is really about learning to to kind of dissect and understand um you know what a period is and really understanding what a period should be like and what could go wrong and um you have a wonderful section on birth control options, looking beyond the pill. Uh, and then you really go into treatment and then learning how to kind of advance troubleshoot. Um, yeah. So there's just a fantastic information. I had to. I was kind of preparing for the interview tonight and, and thumbing through what I highlighted, and I starred this statement. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is so tweetable. <laughs> you said good periods require good nutrition, and yeah. um, tell us about that. <laughs> the other thing that I talk about in there, I've had some feedback um, from some of my readers that they loved it was that our periods are essentially our monthly report cards. So mm-hmm. our periods are not separate. I'm just kind of what I was saying before. They're not separate from the rest of our body. So everything that we need to do to make our body healthy generally is going to have a beneficial effect on periods. In a way, periods are like the crowning, you know, they're the report card. They're the ultimate finish line in terms of our health. So, of course, we need nutrition. Um just because the ovaries are very, um, they require a lot of energy, a lot of nutrients, high levels of you know zinc and selenium, and they need that. And so I think when we give them what they need, I think many of my patients and you know readers are quite surprised, and I'm sure some of your readers are quite surprised what their bodies can do. Yeah, and and I think that um, it can have like the, the dietary and lifestyle changes can happen fairly quickly um and you can like you said it's a report card i know uh when i was really struggling with pcos my periods were absent or i would have these like long periods of this breakthrough bleeding low progesterone type cycle um but now uh my periods are are pretty much like clockwork which is just amazing to me but I've completely changed my lifestyle and have done a lot you know a lot of the things that you're talking about in, in terms of treatment in your book is something that I've I've been doing and um and I I see it with women that I work with too it, it's I think women with PCOS think that you know they'll never get a regular period but it you know I I think it's possible um I I wanted to also ask you thought this was really interesting in your book. So you have kind of, I think, a unique approach to looking at PCOS, and you're looking at it in terms of sort of different, um, I don't know if you, would you describe it as phenotypes or different categories of PCOS, and you have a great little flow chart to help you determine um, what 
you know, phenotype you are, and then you give some wonderful um, sort of therapies for for your type. So could, can you explain for the listeners, I probably didn't do a great job explaining that, um, your your chapter about PCOS and kind of give us an overview. Absolutely. No, I'm happy to talk about this. And I'll just share a bit of background. My What I put into the book and my approach to PCOS some of it came from research, you know, what's out there, the information. Some of it was just from on the ground, 20 years with PCOS patients. It's like, what mm-hmm. is happening here? What really works? I kind of had to just learn by, you know, I hate to almost say that, you know, trial and error with two decades of patients. It's like, okay, let's just make get things happening here. Because my goalpost for PCOS for m- most people is they should be able to have regular periods. We should be able to reestablish a normal ovulation. And I'd say that happens in the vast majority of patients. Of course, there are always going to be a few people that, you know, women with whom it's just a bit more complicated and they may be, you know, that's the minority. The majority of women can, I think, like yourself, get normal regular periods, even though they have a past diagnosis of PCOS. But what the, the subtypes that I'm talking about, it really comes down to, the fact that PCOS is not a complete diagnosis. It's what's called, it's quite common in medicine, it's what call, is called an, an umbrella diagnosis. So what that means is that it's a set of, it's a, it's a clinical picture of which, you know, the androgens and, the, you know, the anovulation, the set of symptoms that occur, and that's kind of how they've defined and put the, you know, they've called that PCOS, but within that group of of women that have been given this diagnosis, they've arrived there for lots of different reasons, well, for a few main different reasons. So they're actually quite a diverse group. And what what that means is it it can be very confusing for the patient and for the doctor because you're reading, for example, PCOS, okay, it's about about insulin, it's about treating that. But what about that group of women for whom it's not about that? That wasn't the problem. That's not kind of why they – that's not why they ended up with the diagnosis of PCOS. So I just tried to take a step back and say, okay, we have this set of symptoms. You know, we can sort of all roughly agree on what those symptoms are. But ultimately, it's a problem with, for some reason, ovulation is not occurring. These, you know, these women are not progressing to a monthly ovulation and um, it's about trying to, yeah, step, take a step back and treat that reason. And of course, for the vast, for, and I do say this in my book, it's about 80% of women with, you know, who are given the diagnosis of PCOS, that reason is insulin resistance and is the problem with insulin. So of course, that predominates the discussion about PCOS as it should. But then there's this other 20% of women for whom it's actually about something quite different. And so that's what I try to sort of talk through in the book. Mm-hmm. So in, in the book, you, do talk about herbal remedies for PCOS. And I know I'm hearing a lot about Vitex lately. And it's it's definitely um, an herbal that can help with um, – supports progesterone. But I think that it's becoming more mainstream. Um, and I've – just from my uh, Facebook page, and I actually have a – a private group of women who have gone through Jumpstart, and it's um, women are much more open about what they're doing and kind of share the pros and cons of some of these therapies that they're on. And so there's a lot of mixed reviews about Vitex. So why don't you um, can you tell us a little bit about what what it is and and how it helps and what we should know about it? 
Okay. Absolutely. Okay, so it's a herbal medicine made from the berries, actually. It's, it's, it's interesting herbal medicine in that it's made from the fruit of the chase tree. The, the scientific, the Latin name is Vitex. And it has a long history of, of use. Um, it's, it's actually been um, clinically trialed. It's being used more recently, and it's used, um, widely used in Germany for PMS and treating PM, you know, PM, premenstrual syndrome and premenstrual depression. And it, it, its greatest success is in that area because it, it has an effect, you know, we, we think of it as a progesterone-boosting herb, but basically what it does, it seems to act, its, its active components act on the communication between the pituitary and the ovaries. So they, it helps to stimulate ovulation and kind of a stronger ovulation. And then that secondarily leads to a higher level of progesterone. But the tricky thing about the herb is it, because of the mechanism, the way it works, the, the communication, what it does between the pituitary and the ovaries, there, it, it is not, it, it, in some, in actual, I would say in the majority of PCOS cases, it's, it's doing possibly the wrong thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd like to try to describe that a bit more. Is, it, um, is there anything you want to sort of ask me about what I've just said about Vitex? Yeah, so you were saying that for some women with PCOS, it's kind of, um, it, it does the wrong thing. So maybe yeah. you can go into okay. more detail about that. Yeah. Okay. So it's about, it's a, I love it, love it to do with a couple of hormones that come from the pituitary called, one is called prolactin and one is called LH. Um, Vitex, so both of those act on, they come from the pituitary, but they act on the ovaries, and they can either sort of inhibit or stimulate ovulation, depending on, you know, the amount of hormone. Vitex suppresses prolactin. That's basically its main mechanism of action. And so that allows, by suppressing the amount of prolactin that's coming from the pituitary, that allows, for that permits ovulation to occur more strongly. So Vitex is most helpful in women that have a slightly elevated prolactin. Absolutely. Clinically, that's, that's what we find. And, and I often, I do a lot of blood testing with my patients. So I'll actually, before I ever give Vitex, I will usually measure, um, prolactin and LH, the other hormone we're going to talk about now, just to kind of get a sense of, you know, what the herb is going to do. The problem with Vitex for PCOS is that there's some evidence that Vitex can increase a hormone called LH, which is typically commonly elevated, already elevated right. in PCOS, in the classic type of PCOS. Okay, here's where we actually, this conversation now about PCOS comes back to what I, we were talking about earlier about PCOS being an umbrella diagnosis. It's of that, so what, the reason we're getting mixed reviews is there are women out there that have been given the diagnosis of PCOS, but they don't have elevated LH. They possibly do have a slightly elevated prolactin. They're quite a different hormonal, hormonally. They're actually quite a different picture than the 80% that are insulin resistant and have elevated LH. There's this kind of subgroup that they have the PCOS diagnosis, but for them, actually, Vitex is the perfect herb, and it ends up stimulating ovulation and working really well for them. That's particularly true. I'll just say the group that works for is the women who have a post-pill PCOS, who come off the pill, they're not getting their periods, they get kind of slapped with sometimes, I think, 
mistakenly <laughs> with a PCOS diagnosis because they're, you know, not having periods, and but yet they don't have insulin resistance. They don't have elevated LH, but, you know, Vitex works for them. In a summary, that, that's who it works for. Oh, so, so that's, that really explains it because there are, there's such mixed reviews. Some women swear by it and think that it's like, it, it's been wonderful in terms of regulating their periods, restoring them. And others, it's just making things worse. Um, and, the, you know, it's just so confusing um, for, for for us because yeah. there, there's really no one-size-fits-all approach. And I think that's no, what there's... it really comes down to. You know, Amy, I'll just, sorry to interrupt you. Um, uh, I'll just say what makes it simpler is I think I'd encourage anyone with PCOS or thinking about Vitex to get a baseline LH prolactin. So a baseline kind of SSH okay. LH, those are the hormones ratio, and um, and just have a look at what that. And it says elevated LH. I would say to be very careful. Doesn't mean you can not use that, I guess, but I would just say so. That's straight away. That's just a screening way. There's a way people can try to determine if it's going to be the right herb for them. Okay. Um, so let's move on to um, some other herbals. So, you know, there's there, there's lots of remedies, natural ways to help manage your PCOS symptoms. And um, there's a lot of nutrients, so things like inositols and, and making sure your vitamin D is optimized and, um, you know, your B B vitamins um, are optimized. We're not, in this call tonight, we're not talking about the nutrients. We're really focusing in on the herbals. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about, I think, um, two, two herbals that I don't see uh, talked a lot about in um, PCOS circles, but certainly I remember years ago when I went um, to my first naturopath to be treated for PCOS, um, it was something that she put me on, and that's peony and licorice. Um, so can you tell us you know, how in your practice do you use those herbals and um, you know, maybe like what type of PCOS are those best suited for? Yeah, great question. I use peony and licorice a lot. And I think, you know, readers will see that on my blog. I speak about it quite a bit. I think it's interesting looking at that, because I trained in North America. Of course, I trained in Canada. But I never really encountered peony and licorice as a treatment until I, you know, the last 15 years I've been working in Australia. I think Australian herbalists and naturopaths are more influenced by traditional Chinese medicine. And that's where mm-hmm. it's, it's also, peony is a Chinese herb. It's in a lot of the traditional Chinese formulas. Um, it. It's a so it, and it's a synergistic combination the two herbs peony and licorice they work together definitely but peony I do it, it is comparable I think of it as an alternative to Vitex essentially it's another herb that works on the communication between the pituitary and the ovaries so again it's an ovulation stimulating herb, although the difference is that peony has quite a strong anti-androgen effect. So it promotes, it reduces androgens and um, works directly on the ovary to promote um, the production of estrogen rather than testosterone. And so it's it's a far better herb for the classic type of PCOS, I think. Um, uh, I don't know that it hasn't been trialed, it hasn't been clinically studied as much as Vitex, but um, it, it's used in a, in a similar way. It's used. I, I 
I would definitely, it was my herb of choice if, there, if I've done the blood test for LH and I see that LH is elevated. There's, I think, at least one study that I quote in the book that talks about peony um, normalizing testosterone and normalizing LH. So uh, I was just, somebody just asked me a question recently about what herbals are best for elevated testosterone and those the symptoms like um, hirsutism. Is yep. peony something that would help there? Yep. Yep. Okay. And I'll just say in terms of what, anything like that for PCOS, if someone's asking me what's the best treatment for hirsutism and for lowering androgens, ultimately the best treatment is whatever treatment that type of, you know, that, you know that for that woman, what her type of PCOS needs to be able to ovulate regularly. You'll know from my book, I just keep, keep coming back again and again and again to ovulation. It's all about ovulation. If, if you know, PCOS sufferers can, can reestablish normal ovulation, that means they're making more, a normal amount of estrogen, a normal amount of progesterone. Those hormones made by the ovaries are the strongest anti-androgen treatment. Progesterone is a natural anti-androgen, sorry, is a natural androgen blocker. So it's, it's ultimately about kind of reestablishing the presence of those female hormones and in the body. And that will, yeah, that will, that will help with hirsutism. So I don't, I don't think of treating hirsutism as a separate, again, it's not a separate thing. It's, it's one of the right. symptoms. And, and just in terms, just back to PCOS, keep in mind 80% of sufferers, it's because of insulin resistance. So for those women, I think ultimately the best treatment for their hirsutism is something like myo-inositol. You mentioned, you know, the nutrient that sensitizes to insulin. There's a number of really important nutrients and diet changes that that normalize insulin, that's what's going to bring androgens down. So the the peony and the licorice, um, is that is something I know I took it short term to sort of get my think, cycle on track and then I I stopped using it. Is, it's, what is your protocol for yeah. Uh, yeah, prescribing that to your patients? Very similar for both Vitex and peony. I would... Rarely, I don't think of them as a long-term, you're not going to take this for two years kind of treatment. It's, it's let, it's because it's working, it's stimulating, it's essentially stimulating the ovaries. So it's like, let's see what, if we can get this happening. And the ovaries are like, <laughs> I think of ovulation as like, essentially just yeah, getting the ball rolling. Once they're, once they've ovulated, that kind of then naturally, that puts things in motion for the next ovulation. So once they start going and cycling, you usually shouldn't need to keep stimulating them every cycle with something like Vitex or Peony. And I should say here at this point, just for your listeners and just to be really clear, it's kind of a safety thing, that both because both Vitex and Peony stimulate ovulation and stimulate the ovaries, they should essentially not be used in combination with fertility medication like Clomid or anything or, you know, the IVF stimulating cycles because there, at least for, certainly for Vitex, there's been at least one, you know, clinically documented case of um, ovarian hyperstimulation or overstimulation of the ovaries. So, it's, it's, so they're not to be taken lightly. They're, they're you know, they're medicines. Yeah, and 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 it's. I think it's really important that you talk to your medical professional before you take any because they're powerful um, agents. And uh, yeah. I, and I know with licorice too, and and a lot of women with PCOS do have high blood pressure, so. That's something yep. to consider as well, not to take it if you do have a history of high blood pressure. Exactly. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, I, yeah. Oh, so I just was going to ask you um, another herbal that has 
often you see suggested for for high androgens is saw saw palmetto. Um, is that something that you use in your practice? Uh, I think that the it's kind of um, I think mixed reviews as to really whether it's really helping or not. But what, what's your thought? I don't use it, and that's not to say that I'm opposed to it. You know, certainly I know there are naturopaths out there using it. It's really, it, the idea behind its use is that it um, blocks, essentially, if I've got this right, you know, it blocks androgens or male hormones at the receptor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's it. I guess I kind of think of that as a Band-Aid approach. Like, I don't, I'm yeah. always looking for treatment that normalize that reestablishes ovulation, that kind of normalizes the underlying process. Because as, as I said, that's how you then get the beneficial estrogen and progesterone that that you need. So I don't because I because I don't see that salt palmetto is really doing anything to address the underlying process, I tend to focus more on herbs like peony or I you know, I guess the other herb which hopefully we'll have time to speak about a little bit today is um a herb called berberine, um which also helps with PCOS and therefore helps to lower androgens. Yeah, and I, and I want to talk about berberine. Um, just quickly, though, I was also curious about spearmint. I, I know there's a lot of women with PCOS drinking spearmint tea um, in hopes of, you know, reducing the hair growth. And I know that there's been some positive uh, studies done with spearmint tea. Um, okay. Is that, is that something that you prescribe or... I don't describe it, and again, I have I am aware of some of those studies. So is it um, again? It's because of it having a sort of a general anti-androgen or androgen blocking yeah. effect. Um, I think it's fine, and there's nothing wrong with taking some mint tea. Obviously, that's like an, a simple extra thing that women can do. I don't think yeah. it replaces the other, the other work that they need to do in terms of you know normalizing ovarian function. Yeah. Um. All right, so let's talk about berberine. And um, for for listeners, uh, Dr. Lara wrote a really excellent article on PCOS Diva about berberine. So for you know more in depth um, info and links to studies, you can check that out. But um, why don't you kind of give us an a, a overview of, of berberine and how that is becoming like you know kind of an up and coming herbal remedy for PCOS. It's, what's interesting is it's becoming it's an up and coming herbal remedy for a lot of things. I think mm. so. so um, which I was trying to speak about that and speak about that for PCOS. It's so berberine refers not to the name of the plant or to one herb, but to uh, the active constituent found in a, a few different herbal medicines, including golden seal and a couple of others. So it's actually a, a herb that been in use for a long time. It has different properties. It, 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 traditionally, it's been used as a natural antibiotic. But I think what, the way it's working, what it's doing for PCOS and for other conditions, ultimately, is that it, it has a quite a strong anti-inflammatory effect. And I think that's why, in terms of PCOS, that's why it helps to normalize the insulin response or the insulin receptors. So berberine has been um, trialed for PCOS. It's done really well. As you'll see, um, listeners can refer to that blog post, which I'm sure we'll link to, that I wrote back for you in December. So it's um, done well in terms of normalizing insulin sensitivity, um, 
um, reducing the production of testosterone, therefore reducing the production of testosterone by the ovaries, and ultimately um, it's done well in terms of um, fertility trials. So it's a pretty exciting herbal medicine, and I use it a lot. So can you give us, um, are there some precautions if you were going to go and order berberine online? Like what what do you need to know and what do you need to um, kind of think about? Yeah, fair enough. Well, I guess the first thing is I don't, it, it should not be used during pregnancy or breastfeeding. So that's kind of the first thing. It's, berberine can also, um, just because of the way it affects the body's kind of detoxification pathways, it, it can alter the levels of other medications in the bloodstream. So if, you know, if someone's on like something like um, an immunosuppressant or um, um, antidepressants or medications that the the actual dose of their day-to-day medication is is tricky to control, then I think they should definitely speak to the doctor before they try berberine. That concern, I mean, that doesn't mean you can never take it if you're taking other medication, but it's just something to be a little bit more careful about. And I guess the other thing for berberine that I use in my own practice, the other precaution is that I just don't, again, like many herbs, I don't think it's the kind of thing you just get on and stay on indefinitely. I tend to use it, you know, for a period of time, like maybe say eight or 12 weeks, just to try to normalize insulin sensitivity and then take a break from it again. And the reason I do that is because it does affect, it alters intestinal bacteria. You know, that's possibly a good thing in the short term, but I think just anything, any medicine that we're using long term that's affecting our bacteria, I think we should take breaks from it. Mm-hmm. And would you suggest um, you know making sure that you're on a probiotic as well while you're taking it, or I I don't usually often I'll follow it with a probiotic, and, and probiotics are in the same category. What I just said, you know, any medicine that alters levels of intestinal bacteria. Probiotics or supplements are in that same category. So I would rarely give a probiotic for longer than two, one, you know, strain or one product of probiotic for longer than two or three months at a time as well. So I like to give, I just like to give our, I have quite a great deal of respect for our intestinal bacteria. I like to give it a chance to kind of find its own balance. Um, but yeah, yes, I guess in answer to your question, yes, I do. I think it kind of combines well, like a typical protocol I might do is sort of eight weeks on berberine and then, you know, four weeks on a you know, a probiotic. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to ask you about another herbal. Uh, you know, a lot of women with PCOS are dealing with inflammation. Um, and even with, you know, you, you wrote a um, wonderful section in your book about inflammatory cytokines and um, I just interviewed Dr. Felice Gersh and we talked about inflammation and PCOS and she was talked about um, cytokines as well. Um, yeah. But I know a lot of women with PCOS now are also taking um, turmeric. Is that something yeah. that... Um, you know, we think would be beneficial for for us to be kind of adding to our supplement regime, or even just using it in food. I mean, it's a great yeah. great spice to put in soups and stews. Um, you know, I even sprinkle some on eggs in the morning. <laughs> I'll say yes. I guess the short answer is yes. Uh, yes, I think yeah. it's a great herb. I think um, it's it's. I think I think in my book I, I specifically mention it for the kind of inflammatory type of PCOS that I've defined. So for some PCOS sufferers, it's highly beneficial. It um, the nice thing about turmeric, as opposed to some of the other herbal medicines that we've just spoken about today, it it can be used long term. 
it's ridiculously safe. It's one of these herbs where it's almost like you just re- as you read about it, you're like, wow, where is the downside? Like it just almost has no toxicity at all, like no concerns. It's um, yeah, it's a great herb. All right, and then I think finally I just wanted to ask you about herbs that support um, our adrenals. Uh, I think that women with PCOS, um, we really have to work on our our stress levels. I, I think a lot of the women that I work with um, tend to have kind of adrenal fatigue. Um, so I know that herbs like ashwagandha, rhodiola, I mean, what what herbs are you using to kind of help with, um, like, the support your adrenals? Yeah, those are the two. You just said them. Ashwagandha, rhodiola, licorice is in that category, too. Actually, we spoke about licorice earlier. Okay. Yeah, so they help to regulate what the hypothalamus pituitary. So, again, they're kind of working on the communication between the pituitary and, in this case, the adrenal gland. So, cortisol helps to sort of reestablish a normal cortisol, what we call curve, or, you know, through the day. So, we're supposed to have quite high cortisol in the morning to give us energy and then drop down at night so that we can sleep. And what, absolutely, what our um, adrenal hormones, such as cortisol, their pattern of being produced in the body has a, a huge impact on female hormones. It's yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's called. If you think about it, really, if your listeners don't, they probably already know this, but I'll just say, cortisol is a steroid hormone, just like progesterone and estrogen and testosterone. And the and so the two main producers of steroid hormones in our body are the adrenal glands and the ovaries. And so, the, and they're communicating. They're actually pushing steroids out into a common pool of hormones, and some of it's being interconverted. And so, it, it, I mean, it just intuitively just makes sense that what our yeah, adrenal glands are doing is very important for anything to do with female hormones. Yeah, it's almost like you have yeah. to manage your cortisol so that you can manage the yeah. rest of your hormones. Yeah, and also cortisol. Sorry, cortisol also has a huge impact on insulin sensitivity as well. So it ties it into that other kind of insulin part of PCOS. Yeah, and and progesterone too. Can you can you kind of explain what why um, like cortisol um, sort of steals from progesterone and yeah. why it's so important? Yeah. Yeah. So progesterone, as well as being its own hormone, it's quite an important hormone in its own right. It's the precursor to other hormones, including cortisol. So and if you're from the body's perspective. If, you know, if it feels like you need more cortisol, more of the kind of life and death emergency hormone, cortisol, it will just make it to the detriment of all your, it'll just basically just take progesterone precursor and turn it into cortisol. And that's quite a profound waste, <laughs> you know, in terms of your reproductive health. You've made this progesterone, but then it's just been converted into cortisol. And, you know, of course, the body's doing this. It thinks it's in a life and death situation. It might just be that you're trying to find a parking spot or you know, got a stressful right, phone right. call or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not really life and death. So, yes, I, I think herbs are helpful for normalizing that stress response. And so is, obviously, as I'm sure you speak about on your your website in lots of places, but lifestyle and, re- and scheduling time for rest, not just sleep, but, you know, downtime. And so many of the women I patients I work with Somehow don't aren't able to give themselves permission to just do something fun or just you know, do something for themselves. It's, it's either 
they either have to be, you know, working or looking after their kids or there seems to be no, so I'm constantly saying, writing on their prescription form, it's like, you have permission to go, you know, walk in the park or have a massage or something. It's like, you need that. Yeah, I love I love that, and I, I have to say, I'm and you people may have already heard this um, story, but uh, it's like the whole idea of PCOS diva and the name really came from my mm-hmm. husband because when I started taking care of myself and making sure that I had that downtime, and my, he started calling me a diva, and I thought, you know what, that's absolutely what it takes for me to be able to manage my health. So I have to take time for myself. So I love that you write that as a prescription um, for your patients because it's, gosh, it's it's so important. And women have to realize that they're worth it. They're, they're worth taking care of. And um, I yeah, love that story about the, I did not know that about the name of your, your blog. Your yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and, Oh, it, it's yeah. It shouldn't. The fact that we have to kind of steal it back for ourselves as women to kind of steal back that permission to, I think maybe you know, said something about how you know how far we've been pushed. But, um, I know. Like the way I, I think. Yeah. The way I think. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yep. I was just going to say, and I think it's asking for what you want, and a lot of that was, you know, with uh, unapologetically, you know, at, in the restaurant, asking exactly for what you want to eat. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a rude kind of thing, but, you know, you have to advocate for yourself, and, and it's okay to want what you want. <laughs> it is, and it's okay to give yourself things. And when I'm writing that prescription for downtime, I'll often say, and, you know, if my patient looks a bit doubtful, I'll say, okay, think about it as, let's say you would schedule an appointment with an expensive medical specialist or something, you know, that you're like, you're going to keep that appointment because that's in, for your health. I mean, that's just, you know, that takes priority. That's what it's like. That's what your date with yourself should be like. That's an important thing for your health. It's not any different really than your appointments with your doctors or whatever it is. It's an investment in your health. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's such a great message to kind of end our, our podcast on. Um, and, any other words of wisdom for for us tonight? <laughs> well, I think just what I, I said to you earlier, it's the body, trust your body. I, I just know, and I'm speaking very earnestly from 20 years of doing this, our, the, the, you know, the human body, the female body is just an amazing thing, and I think transformation can happen, and, you know, I know, that, I know that's your message, Amy, so I support it 100%. Well, I really want to encourage everybody listening to seriously consider picking up a copy of this of Dr. Bryden's book, Period Repair Manual: Natural Treatment for Better Hormones and Better Periods. It's, gosh, it's I I highlight books, so I you know as I'm flipping through it, like the whole thing's highlighted because <laughs> um, there's just so much like great information, and I walked away learning um, lots of of new information. So. Great uh, book to have in your reference library, and I will post a link to to it under this podcast. Um, thank you again for joining us again, um, Dr. Bryden, and talking about PCOS uh, herbals. And um, I look forward to having you join us again sometime soon. I would love to come back. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. And thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> <laughs>